This is lesson five of This Can Happen. And as you know, this course is all about the Messianic era. It's about Mashiach, what it's going to look like. And uh, they tell a story about there were three kids. Three kids were bragging about their fathers. And the first kid said, oh, my father is so fast that he can fire, he can shoot an arrow. And he can run so fast that he can arrive there before the arrow gets there. Oof, not to be outdone by his friend. The second kid says, oh, you think that's fast? My dad, when he goes hunting, he can shoot his rifle and he can run and he can get there before the bullet, before the shot gets there. And the third one says, oh, yeah, you think that's special? You think that's fast? Oh, you guys don't even know what fast is. You see, my dad, my dad finishes work at 4.30, but he gets home every day at 3.45. And that, my friends, is fast. All right, Jerry. Thank you. I, did, did that deserve it? All right, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit of a, of a rim shot over there. Okay, friends, this course, this course, as you know, is all about the future time. It's all about the Messianic era, also known as Mashiach. I will alternate. I'm going to alternate between these terms, Messiah or Messianic era or Mashiach. It's all the same thing. This course is about what the Jewish belief is in a better future for all of us. And we've covered a lot in our first four sessions. We've learned that Mashiach is, number one, a time of material prosperity. That it's, number two, a time of spiritual uh, consciousness and enlightenment. We've learned that Mashiach is a reality that we create through our positive actions, through our mitzvah actions. And we learned last week that Mashiach is an ongoing process that began at the beginning of time and continues to unfold throughout history. So far, so good. But you might have noticed something, and I know, I, I know some of you have noticed this. I know, I know this. I can tell. I can tell on your faces, even on Zoom, that you noticed this. And what did you notice? I know that you've noticed that we've been talking up until now about Mashiach as a state of being or a state of reality, but we haven't been talking about Mashiach the person. Did you notice that? Yes? We've been talking about the Messianic era, but not the Messiah, right? And so tonight, we talk about the Messiah. We talk about not Mashiach as an era solely, but Mashiach as the Redeemer, as a person or as a Redeemer. Let's not define Mashiach yet. That's the class. So we're going to talk about Mashiach. We're going to expand our conversation and focus on the Messiah, who are they? I'm saying they as kind of like, you know, neutral. Who are they? What are they? Why do we need them, whoever Mashiach is? And what exactly is the job description of Mashiach? What does Mashiach do, right? Imagine if it was bring your uh, family member to day, day in school and Mashiach was your family member and then they would stand before the class and everyone would say, so what do you do? What would Mashiach say? What does Mashiach actually do? Who, what, where, when is Mashiach the person? So to answer these questions and more, 
we're going to explore original Jewish sources, scriptural sources, legal halachic sources, philosophical sources, and of course, mystical sources as well. My goal is that by the end of tonight's class, you should have a solid understanding of who and what Mashiach the Redeemer is. So this class is going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot to get to, so let's jump in. And I want to begin with a, a thought question. Is that a thing? Is that a, is that a phrase that people use? I don't know. But it's a question that I want you to think about. Maybe a thought experiment question. And here's the question. Okay, I want you to think about this and jump in. Uh, by the way, I should mention, you probably noticed by now, I muted everybody just to have a nice clean background so that, you know, no one's distracted. But when we engage in conversations or when you have a question or a comment, please just unmute yourself and jump right in. So get ready on the trigger, on the unmute trigger, because here's my question to you. Imagine if somebody came along today, right? June 1st, 2021, it's only 8 11 p.m. There's still time for this to happen. Imagine if somebody came along tonight and they proclaimed themselves to be the Messiah. They said, hey, here's my announcement. We're calling a press conference. Let's tweet this out, folks. Let's see if we can get this viral. And, a per and the statement is, right, somebody puts it out there saying that I am the Messiah. Not I as in I, but they are saying it about them. I hope that makes sense, right? Somebody self-proclaims to be the Messiah. Here's my question. How would you and I know if they were legit or not? You see my question? If somebody stands up today and says, I am the Messiah, how do you know whether they're legit or not? How do I know whether they're legit or not? The floor is yours. Jump in. How would you tell? How would you tell? Go. Jump in. Very simple. Is he riding a donkey? Oh, good. Is he on a donkey or not? Good. Um, does a Ford Bronco count or no? It has to be a donkey specifically? Like, it's got to be. All right. Good. So riding a donkey says Jay. Ray, what do you got? Jump in. Don't forget to unmute. Ray, don't forget to unmute. Uh-oh. Ray looks... Ray, you look frozen. I'm sure not really, but just on the, on the Zoom screen. All right, we're going to get back to Ray. Who else wants to jump in? How would you know if it's a legitimate Mashiach or not? Well, did Elijah come before him to announce the press conference? Ooh, good, good, excellent. Who announced the press conference? Was it the alleged Mashiach himself or was it maybe Elijah? Which, good, we'll get to that. Excellent. What else? How else would you know whether or not the, the self-proclaimed Mashiach is the real deal or not? DNA test from Machus Beis David. Ah, you got to find out if they're from the Davidic dynasty. Right, not, I didn't say duck dynasty. That's a different show. That's a different situation. This is Davidic, not duck, Davidic dynasty. This is from Malchud Beit David, from the house of David. Ray, jump in. Don't forget to unmute. Jump in. Whenever you're ready, Ray. If you want, if you want to jump in, no pressure either way. I said, uh, if he's born on Tishabab or Erev Tishabab. Oh, good. So now we got a birthday. Well, that narrows down the pool, <laughs> right? So, are they born on the ninth of Av or the eve of the ninth of Av? Good, good. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
What else? What other, how would you determine whether or not the guy seems sincere, seems, you know, very sure that they are Mashiach. How would you know? How would I know? How would we figure this out? Go, jump in. Wouldn't he need to be like a structural engineer or something so he can rebuild the temple after he's born on the Good, good. So how well can you build a building in a very complicated location site? Yeah. Um, what's your plan? Good, yeah. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Okay, are they a peaceful person? Okay, good. What else? Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Are they doing some wild stuff? Good. Excellent. Let's take one or two more. If anybody has, no pressure. If you have something, jump in. How would you know that this person, if they are not Mashiach? Prophecy. Prophecy. I knew you were going to say that. I'm joking. That's a prophecy joke. All right. Hey, I'm here all week. All right. What else? Good. Last one. Final, final one. So I mean, isn't everybody supposed to come back to Eretz Israel? Okay, good. So maybe he's got to buy a lot. of got to charter a lot of LL flights. Like, is that what's going on here? Are we just flying the friendly skies? I don't think anyone uses that as a slogan anymore. We could probably repurpose that. Their temple has to be rebuilt. Their temple needs to be rebuilt? Good. Okay. Good. So we have a lot of really solid ideas. Here is the objective tonight. A lot of really good ideas we were just shared. Thank you all for sharing. And I'm sure there are more ideas that could have been shared by the group. But this is a great start. Remember, we're going to do this tonight. We're going to take a scenario. Someone pops up on the scene and says, Hey, hey, I am a Shiach. That's the scenario we are going to stick with throughout tonight's class. And let's look at how we know whether or not they are the real deal. What are the criteria of Mashiach, the Redeemer? Not the era, the era we spoke about. Peace, prosperity, spiritual awareness, enlightenment, divine transparency. We got that, right? Who is the person Mashiach? What are their qualifications? How do we know whether or not they are Mashiach? How do we know if they're legit? Remember that show, Will the Real Messiah Please Stand Up? That wasn't the show, but it was Will the Real Something or Other Please Stand Up. So this is, Deborah and Joel, it's really good to have you guys back. I will say that. It's good to have you back. I hope my humor hasn't gotten worse in the past little bit. Um, okay, so how do we know? So the good news is, the good news is, there is so much wisdom. In Jewish wisdom, there's so much information out there. That can be helpful. In fact, there's an entire system of messianic authentication that arises from Jewish teachings describing the person known as Mashiach. In other words, when we become, which we will tonight, when we become well-versed in who is Mashiach, then we can use that information to apply it in any given situation to, ask, to answer the question, could this person be Mashiach? Are they legit or not legit? We will get a system of authentication from the, from the elements that we learned tonight. So, there's no other way to do this other than looking at the sources. That's where we're going to get all the information. More than, I think, any of the previous classes, we are going to go through a lot of texts. Because this is really important to understand the sources of who and how and what is Mashiach the person so that we can have a framework 
of authenticating Mashiach. Okay. Rabbi, yes. Does, um, does the Messiah tell other people I'm the Messiah, or do people nominate him? In other words, does he? You're saying is it a democratic system, or is it more of a? But maybe people spot him and say, "You must be the Messiah." Right. Or is it somebody says, "I'm the Messiah." And he's wearing this like hat that he pulls down and says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he runs off, never to be seen again. Right, no, you're asking a good question. I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. But yes, you're asking a very good question. Does it come from Mashiach? Does it come from the people kind of appointing or recognizing Mashiach? Good, good questions. Let's go through the sources. And we'll add that to our list of criteria and questions that we'll go through tonight. We have a lot of, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun going through the sources so let's, let's jump right in. So in the scenario that I gave you, right? But, but, but just to be clear, Dinamaka, I gave, I'm giving you a scenario where somebody is saying about themselves, I am the Messiah, or actually, or somebody else is saying about somebody, oh, they're definitely the Messiah. And now you're like, uh, I don't know. Like, how do, how do I know? Like what, like, what do I even do to figure this out? That's where we're at right now, right? Like somebody is allegedly the Mashiach or might be or could be or someone's saying that they are and I don't know. So what, 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 do I, what do I do? Where do I go from here? Like what do I do? Is there like, you know, if, if only there were just a DNA test. Oh, Mashiach, boom. It, you know, the, the, it comes up. Or a blood test. Oh, yeah, definitely Mashiach. H- how do we know? So all of this begs the question. In, our, in my scenario where somebody comes up, pops up suddenly one day and says, oh, hey, I'm the Mashiach, begs the question, is a sudden Mashiach even a possibility? You understand what I'm saying? Is it even possible that somebody would come off the radar from being off the radar and say, hey, I'm the Mashiach, I'm the Messiah, I'm going to make this happen, all we need is, uh, is some buy-in over here, all we need is you know, some folks to support me. Like, is that even a thing that Mashiach could come so suddenly and so quickly? So the true, or alternatively, is it a much more deliberate, slower, methodical, step-by-step process by which Mashiach arrives, right? Is it a press conference out of the blue, or is it a methodical process and, you know, everyone knows, everyone's on board with it? In truth, this is the subject of a debate. Well, sorry, not subject of a debate. We find conflicting sources or conflicting ideas in the sources, we find suggestions of both options, that Mashiach is going to come out of nowhere or methodically and, and in kind of an, a more obvious way. We find suggestions of both of these options in classic Jewish sources. And um, I, I, let's go through the first five sources, one, two, three, four, five in our, in our uh, text, in our, in our books. I'm going to pull it up on the screen and we'll do it together. But as we go through each text, I want you to think about this, this question and I want you to formulate an answer. Because when I'm finished reading, I'll ask you the question. And the question is going to be, according to the text that we'll have just uh, read, is it suggesting that Mashiach comes out of nowhere or in a slow process? And it's either or, right? Either quickly or slowly. And each text is going to have a suggestion with with regard to that. So without further ado, I'm going to open up my... Where is it? Here we go... I'm going to share my screen with you because, as, as you know, I don't know yet. I will, I will let you know in a second as I scroll through the PDF on my side. It's lesson five in the book, 
So, and it should be right there at the beginning of lesson five. It is getting there. I'm narrowing down. Here we go. Page 196 in your book. 196. Okay, here we go. This is coming from the prophet Malachi, text one. You know what, Ray, you're ready to go. You're unmuted. If you don't mind, please read text number one. A sudden appearance. Behold, I will send my angel, and he will clear away before me. And suddenly, the God whom you seek will come to his temple. All right, so my question for everybody is, and, and get ready to unmute. You can always hold down the space bar, by the way. That's a trick. That's a Zoom hack. Hold on the space bar to temporarily unmute yourself. Here's my question. According to text one, is Mashiach something that happens out of the blue or a slowly, a slow methodical process? What do we have here? Text one. Suddenly. What do you have? Suddenly. Suddenly. Fast. Good. Suddenly. Fast. Out of the blue. Good. 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 Fast. Yes, excellent. It, it listen. It definitely helps that text one. The caption is a sudden appearance. Well, so much, so so much for subtlety. All right, text number two. It's gonna get more. Don't worry. It'll get more opaque as we go along. Text number two. Uh, Jay, if you don't mind to jump in, this is page one ninety seven. Take it away, please. When a mortal monarch plans to return to his home, it is typical protocol for his arrival to be announced in advance. An initial announcement may give notice that he will arrive in 10 days, followed perhaps by a second advisory five days in advance, and then four days until the final proclamation, the king is approaching the capital. The prophet Isaiah informed us that the Jewish redemption will not unfold in this manner. Rather, it will arrive in the blink of an eye as he foretold, the first one to Zion, behold, here they are, and for Jerusalem, I will give a herald. In other words, Jerusalem's residents will not notice that all the tribes of Israel are converging on their city before the initial announcement is made by the first individual to reach Jerusalem, who will call out, look, here they all are, about to enter the city. It will be so sudden that the city's residents will not notice a thing before the reality materializes. The announcement and the event will come as one, hence the initial notice for Jerusalem. I will give a herald, will be, behold, here they are. All right, I hope that makes, thank you for reading that. It's, it's a, the, the English, I don't know, it's a little bit complicated. This is from Rabbi Yosef Kaur, the author of the, of the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. So look what he says. Uh, you know what? I'm asking you the question, right? I'm, I'm doing the questions here. So um, based on text two, which Jay just read, is Mashiach something that unfolds slowly or happens in the blink of an eye? Oh, it sounds like sudden again. Sudden. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Let's keep on going. Text number three. Um, Ronnie, are you up to reading text number three? All right, don't forget to unmute and jump right in. It's page 199 from the Zohar, from Kabbalah. Hold on one second. Yes. Um, when God will, pray, will will rise up the people of Israel and redeem them from exile, he will open a small, thin ray of light for them. Thereafter, he will open another far wider aperture. Finally, God will throw open the supernal gates that open for four corners, all four corners of the universe. Good. Thank you. So according to the Zohar, again, everybody, unmute yourselves if you want to jump in on this. According to the Zohar, is it sudden or slow, methodical, step-by-step? -step? What do you think? According to text three. This is slower. Oh. Good. Good, right? Because it's slow. 
Okay, it's slower, maybe not super slow, but it seems like it's a progression, right? There's a small thin ray of light, then it opens further, and finally, it's like the divine awareness and God godliness floods the universe and, and expands all to all four corners, but it happens in a, at least in a step-by-step -step process as opposed to happening um, all at once. Okay, good. Text number four, let's go, Jerry. If you don't mind, Jerry, just jump in on text number four from the Midrash. The Jewish people of that generation will say, is it possible that the world functions as usual and nevertheless the redemption will arrive this year? However, they do not realize that Mashiach's arrival will be sudden. Okay, according to text four from the Midrash, is it sudden or not sudden? That was easy, right? Sudden. Sudden, right? It, says so. it literally says so, exactly. And finally, text number five from the Jerusalem Talmud. David Lazan, please read text number five uh, from the Talmud. Rabbi Fia Bar Abba and Rabbi Shimon Ben Kalavta once walked through Arbel Valley and watched the break of dawn. Whereupon Rabbi Fia told Rabbi Shimon, so will be the Jewish redemption. It will begin with small steps, as it, as it is stated. Although I will sit in darkness, God will be a light to me. Then, as it progresses, it will greatly swell and expand. Thank you. According to this, this reading, text 5, is it sudden or is it progressive, step by step? Progressive. Good. Excellent. So what we have here are five texts of many, countless texts that we could quote, but five, five feels like a decent number. And, you know, if we were doing work in books and writing, and if you had pencils or pens in front of you, I would do this as an exercise. But you know what? We're all friends. We're on Zoom. It's all good. You can do it in your book if you want, or we can just do it together here kind of virtually on the screen, right? There's a column for sudden and a column for gradual. And if you were putting in text one, two, three, or f four or five, and assigning them to the columns, the sudden text would be which one? Which, which text point to a sudden arrival of Mashiach? Text, who remembers? Text number? One. One. One, two, and four. Excellent, yes. One, two, and four. And the gradual ones are? Three and five. Three and five. Excellent. Good. We're on the same page here. So what we have here is a bit of a machloket, uh, a bit of a dispute between the sources, amongst the sources. Some sources are indicating that Mashiach is going to be, now you don't see it, now you do. I know that's the opposite of what the usual phrase is, but like out of nowhere, out of the blue, I had no idea that was happening. Right? It's like, the, it's like psh, out of nowhere. And other sources say no. It's more of like the... Uh, the break of dawn, where it happens slowly, light filters in slowly, 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 and before you know it, the whole world is, or at least that area, the whole, well, the whole world is filled with light, and it kind of crept up slowly like that. Different sources. So the question is, new. so which one is it? How is it going to unfold? Is it going to be sudden or gradual? Is it going to be, you know, out of nowhere or step-by-step, -step, methodical? What's, what's the plan? So you know, you know a good Jewish answer when you have an either-or question. Help me out. What's the good answer? Yeah? Both. Both. Another, que another question. And, or another question or a story about that. They tell a story about two congregants that come to the rabbi. And each one presents their side. And after hearing the first guy, the rabbi says, yeah, you're right. And then he hears the second guy's side of the story and he says, you're right. And the rabbi's wife from the other room says, how could they both be right? And the rabbi says to her, you're also right. I mean, that's a, right, that's a classic Jewish 
Jewish tale. So that's what we're saying. Uh, the, 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 the sources that say Mashiach comes suddenly out of nowhere, you're right. And the ones that say it comes slowly, you're also right. Uh-oh, how does that work? It's either slow or fast. Which one is it? So here's the deal. We're going to understand this by citing one more text. Well, two more. A verse and a Talmudic interpretation. So I'm going to share my screen with you once again. Let's do this together, and you'll see how it all will start to make sense. Okay, here we go. Let's ask Richard. Hey, Richard. It's good to have you here. Richard Crone. Welcome, welcome. 6A, please. I'm glad you gave me the small one. Maybe I can do this one. Okay. Small <laughs> thousand, and at least a mighty nation. I am God. I will hasten it in its time. So look at that last line of that verse from Isaiah, from that quote from Isaiah. I am God. I will hasten it in its time. I will hasten it in its time. Very curious language there because hastening usually means it's early and in its time means it's coming on time and not early, right? It's like, do you want expedited shipping or standard? Imagine someone says, yeah, I want expedited shipping to arrive on time. It's like, no, I mean, I'll take your money, but I don't even know what you just said because expedited means early. So what does it mean hastened in its time? Take a look. You thought you were getting a small one. You're getting another one, Richard, because you, uh, you mentioned that. Now we're going to hit you for the, old, for the old double. Take a look at what Talmud Sanhedrin says. Well, I can do this. The same verse that states that the redemption will arrive in its time also states, I will hasten it. Is there a set time for the, for the redemption or not? The Talmud resolves this seeming contradiction. If they merit, I will hasten it. If they do not merit, it will only occur when its time arrives. The Talmud says, thank you, the Talmud says that there are two possibilities for the arrival of Mashiach. There is a time by which Mashiach has to come or when it will come. And then there's the opportunity to bring it ever more early. There's an opportunity, there's a possibility to bring it sooner than later. And that is the meaning of bi'itoi achishena. That is the meaning of this phrase, and I, I, I know I just used the Hebrew on you there from the verse, but that is the meaning of bi'ita, oh sorry, bi'ita achishena. In it, I will hasten it in its time. Right? What does that mean? It means that there's two options. Either Mashiach could come in its time, right? On time when it's supposed to happen, or it can come earlier. And the understanding here is that the two points are connected with, with what we said before. In other words, the two ideas that we've been sharing are connected. When it comes in a way of being hastened, it comes suddenly. And when it comes in its time, it comes more gradually. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. The Talmud establishes here in text 6b in Tractate Sanhedrin 98a that there's two ways that Mashiach can come about. It can either come in its time or it can come early. So when it comes early, ah, oh, it's a surprise, it's sudden. And when it comes in its time, it's a more gradual, recognizable method. And let me just use perhaps more um, everyday language than being stuck with the language of the Talmud and the sources to just explain what's going on here. We've spoken about at length in the previous sessions that what is Mashiach? Mashiach is a time, spiritually, it's a time when the world is conducive to God. The world knows, people know about the Creator. Everyone's, uh, we're on board with the Source. 
great. And that's a, that's a process. That's a process that's been going on since the beginning of time, since the Garden of Eden. And as we said last week, it's a process that unfolds throughout the generations. But we also have said throughout this, throughout this course that, you know, there are things called, um, what's the word, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Um, uh, what's the word? It's um, either catalyst or accelerators. Take your pick. Ca no, not, well, it's sort of, oh, tipping point. All I have to do is look at my notes. Tipping points. Right? Kind of a catalyst and an accelerator, yes. But there are tipping points where, you know, even if we're not there all the way yet, but you hit the right button, and that's it. The whole thing, the whole thing flips. That's what it means, achishena, that I will hasten it. There are things that you and I can do, and we don't necessarily know which buttons or which combination it takes to press them. But when we hit those buttons, we believe that it's possible that Mashiach could come right away, even though the normative process, the normal evolution of spiritual development has not yet concluded, but when you hit those triggers, boom, Mashiach can come immediately out of the blue, suddenly early, not hastened, not in its time, but rather ever more early. The second option, so that's one option. I will hasten it. In its time means... You didn't hit the magical combination. There was no magical tipping point. Rather, things evolved and improved and the world became more enlightened until the point when Mashiach was right on time. And an, an, an obvious reality, everyone saw it coming. So either everyone sees it coming because it's coming in its time, in its normative time, or somehow someone hit the right button and that makes it, that flips the switch to make it happen right now, even though kind of the world is not yet, in natural terms, 100% ready for it. Does that make sense? So I asked you a question. I asked you a question before. Imagine someone comes, holds a press conference and says, Chevra, guys and gals, I'm a Shiach. Okay, and now you want to try to, you want to see if, should we rule them out as being, you know, just... Completely, you know, not, not possible. So question number one is, I asked, um, well, is it possible for Mashiach to come out of the blue? What's the answer? Yes. Can we rule out Mashiach, a possible Mashiach, because they came out of the blue? Can we rule that out? Yes or no? No? My friends, we have not yet ruled out the sudden press conference Mashiach. So we need to continue with our exploration. All right. But before we continue, let me check in. Did what I say up until now make sense? Any questions, comments? Feel free to jump in. Make sense? I have a question. Yes. Good question. Who knows what we need to do to have that tipping point? What is it? I know what a tipping point is. I know that. But yeah. Any formula? Such and such has to be done to do actually tip it? I wish I could tell you. I'm under, I'm under, I have this um, uh, non-disclosure, NDA. I have this NDA that I can't, I can't reveal that information. Okay, okay, never mind. They're going to, they're going to, you know, you know, remember those um, on Broadway or whatever on stage, they had those big hooks where they would yank people off stage? Right. Right. Yeah, it's like, I, I would hate to like, you know, and suddenly the screen goes dark and it's like, like oh, where's the rabbi? I hope he's okay. And, you'll, and I'm from like an, a non-descript, undisclosed location now, uh, right next to Dick Cheney. So, I mean, this is like, that we don't even know now 
where like where this is. And that's not a political statement. That was just, you know, he was in an undisclosed location for a while at some point, I think after 9-11. Anyway, the point is like this. The point is that, you know, the, the, the nature of a tipping point is you don't really know when that happens, right? You don't know when it's going to snowball or avalanche like that. You don't really know. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like if it happens, it happens. If, we, if it gets accelerated, it gets accelerated. But that's a, that's a possibility. There are, there are sources in scripture and in, in, in Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish scholarship that say it happens in the blink of an eye. It could happen in the blink of an eye. It could also happen slowly, slowly, slowly. It could happen hastened, blink of an eye, or it could happen in the normal process. But again, getting back to my scenario, I'm creating a scenario because that, that scenario is going to walk us through today's class. So somebody comes up, press conference, Mashiach is here, I'm Mashiach. Can you rule out just based on the fact that they came out of nowhere? No. It's a possibility. So let's keep on going. How about what Dr. Maxey said before? What about, there's another piece to this. Maybe you could say, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. You're coming here and tell me that you're Mashiach. I recall, you might say to yourself or to this person even, I recall that there's something about Elijah the prophet that needs to come before your announcement. I'm pretty sure that Elijah, I mean, I know Elijah comes to the Seder. I know he hangs out by the Brit Milah, right? But I'm pretty sure also that Elijah needs to show up before Mashiach shows up. So now Mashiach, you're saying you're Mashiach. Well, where's Elijah? I don't know about that. So let's go to the sources and see what's the deal with Elijah, is that a thing? Is that not a thing? I'm, I'm really glad you asked because I actually have some sources on this, which I'm happy to share right now. So let's jump back in and let's look at text number seven. Ooh, the announcer. He is the Harry Carey of... Okay, anyway. Was Harry Carey an announcer? He was, right? Yes? Chicago? Chicago Cubs. Chicago Cubs, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Dr. Maxi, hold on. Did you read yet or no? No, I have not. Perfect. Text number seven, if you don't mind to jump right in. I will send Elijah the prophet to you before the arrival of the day of Hashem. There you go. Boom. And by the way, this day of Hashem, this day of God, that's understood by the commentaries to refer to the day Mashiach comes, right? The day in which God, you know, is manifest and, you know, the divine consciousness fully uh, is manifest here on earth. Okay. The point is that God is saying, I will send Elijah the prophet to you before that day arrives. So it seems clear, black and white, and even some color. Oh, wow. Look at that. That is a circumcision chair of prophet Elijah, some illustration from early 1700s. That's nice. But anyway, Elijah, that's about a bris. I don't, know, I don't know why we're talking about bris right now. Elijah, according to Malachi 323, right, is supposed to arrive, it seems, before Mashiach. Now, you might be wondering, before we even continue further, well, what, what does he do? What, it, it is, God says, I will send Elijah the prophet. What's the plan? Like, what he's doing recon? Like, what's, what does Elijah actually do? So... Let's take a look at figure 5.1. Because if it's in a figure, it's got to be legit, even if we don't have sources. No, I'm kidding. These, these are taken from classic sources. But just in, in order to avoid having like 50 texts in this class, so we're condensing it. 
but everything is well sourced. I'm just going to read through this. You can follow along. Elijah will, number one, well, he's the announcer, right? Announce Mashiach's imminent arrival. So that means he's going to come before Mashiach to announce it. Number two, here's something else. He's going to inspire Israel, that means the people, to better their ways and prepare their hearts for the redemption. Okay, well, that's helpful to know. Kind of give me a heads up because I was about to like, I don't know, play Candy Crush on my phone, so thank God I know Mashiach's coming so I can focus on what's really important and get in the zone. Thank you, Elijah. Uh, do you want some wine or something? Because I got some extra and a big cup. All right, number three, right? Number three, what else does Elijah do? He restores prophecy to the Jewish people. That which kind of makes sense because based on number one, he's announcing Mashiach's imminent arrival, which sounds like prophecy, and he was a prophet, so he's literally restoring prophecy by being a prophet and doing something prophetic before Mashiach comes. I hope that makes sense what I just said. Number four, he answers unresolved halachic queries, which is awesome because they were unresolved. Hence the name unresolved halachic queries. There are questions in Jewish law that literally the Talmud says, Teku. That's Aramaic, or that's, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's, it's a word that's used in the Talmud when there's no resolution. And the commentaries say, you know what teku stands for? Tishbi, Eliyahu, Hanavi, Eliyahu, Hatishbi, Eliyahu, Elijah is the Tishbi or Tishbite. So Tishbi, Elijah, Yitaretz, Kushyos, Vibayos. Elijah the prophet will answer the really tough questions. Boom, number four. Again, this is all from Talmud, and here we have it on the chart with a cool icon with an X over the question mark. I guess that means that there will be no more questions because he'll have all the answers, but that's what he does. And number five, he will restore the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the great Jewish court that needs, oh, very important, to have a Sanhedrin, the judges, Dayanim, needed to be appointed by someone that had an unbroken connection to Moses. We call this original smicha, not rabbinic ordination that we have today, but unbroken, higher level ordination, going back to Moses, giving it to Joshua for the first time, which ended, we don't really know when it ended, but at some point that unbroken chain of smicha, smicha, original smicha, OG smicha, ended. So you can't have a Sanhedrin without someone that had smicha. Well, the good news about Elijah, oh, I should have mentioned this before. He's the only guy in Scripture that it describes him as ascending to heaven alive. He never died in the conventional way. He ascended to heaven alive with a body. And if you need more details about that, tonight's not your class. We'll have a, maybe we'll have a class on Elijah, just on Elijah. But that's what the, that's how the story goes. Elijah is somebody who got the smicha in that unbroken chain, going dating back to Moses. He can resurrect the Sanhedrin. He can bring this happen. He can, sorry, he can bring this back and make it happen because he's got that smicha and all you need is one guy that had the smicha who's still around and Elijah will come back and he'll still have his body to reinstate it and appoint other judges. Anyway, here's the point. Elijah does all these things um, and first and foremost announcing Mashiach's imminent arrival. So maybe now we have an answer to our question. Remember our question? Like decades ago we had a question. Minutes ago, we had a question. Somebody makes a press conference and says they're Mashiach. And I don't know, like, yeah, no, maybe team Mashiach or am I team anti? Like, I don't, what, what, where, where am I? Am I aligned or not aligned? And so I said, okay, well, it came too sudden. Well, no, it could come suddenly. Yeah, but where's Elijah? Ah, Elijah didn't show up. 
so I can't be. Fraud, I'm saying not legit. You photoshopped those miracles or did some deep fake video action. There's no way because where is Elijah? The proof is in the lack of pudding, the lack of pudding being in this case, the lack of Elijah. Okay, however, that's not an ironclad argument, and the reason is because, like we talked about before, about two ways that Mashiach can happen. There are some that say that if Mashiach is indeed arriving suddenly, Elijah may not arrive first. Are you with me? All the prophecies that talk about Elijah coming first could reference the normative on-time arrival of Mashiach, not necessarily the early arrival onset. In other words, just like we said that Mashiach could come out of the blue, if it does come out of the blue, then it's possible that Elijah will not have booked his tickets um, and arrived first before Mashiach. So the fact that Elijah did not herald or announce the coming of Mashiach is not necessarily a proof that this is a fraudulent Messiah. It could be legit, just it happened all so fast, too fast for Elijah to announce before. Does that make sense? Yes? Are you with me? Yes? Sort of? 100%? Okay. Good. So, we still have our scenario. We still do not have resolution. We still don't... Well, and we have somewhat of a framework, but it's kind of an either-or framework. Like, it's kind of open-ended. It's really a lot of options right now. Like, Mashiach could come slowly where it's obvious. Like, yeah, everyone knows that it's happening. Or it could come out of the blue if the right, you know, formula is followed, which... Richard, I don't even know if I answered your question, which we don't know what that formula is, right? But it, it, if it happens, it happens. Um, so that's a little bit of, you know, an either-or option. And as far as Elijah, again, it seems like he would show up first, but again, that's, that's inconclusive. It's not necessarily guaranteed based on how quickly Mashiach comes. So we're still kind of stuck in our scenario. This guy's holding a press conference saying it's Mashiach, and Mashiach is here. Yay, nay, I, we, we're on board, we're not on board. How do we know? So let's keep on probing further into a little bit about the qualifications of Mashiach. And now we're going to get, now we're going to get a little bit more informative. As far as answer, I mean, it's been informative, but now we're going to really drill into or dig into, drill down, whatever the phrase is, into the who of Mashiach, which is going to help us identify Mashiach. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is look at the sources. Look at the sources that talk about who Mashiach is. What are the qualities and the qualifications of the person known as Mashiach? And I'm going to share my screen with you. I told you we're going to do a lot of text tonight. I want to really show this to you in the sources, right? Oh, before we do that, there's a beautiful picture here. Um, Elijah blowing the chauffeur of redemption. This is from a Passover Haggadah dating back to 1560. Look at this. You see that? This is Shvoch HaMascha. This is toward the end of the Seder. This is an illustrated Haggadah. And you can see Mashiach is, oh, Jay, that's your donkey. Look at this. Look at that. You got Mashiach on the donkey, which is based on another prophecy. And look behind him. Yeah, that's Elijah. There's a chauffeur. Elijah's like, this guy on a donkey, in case you're wondering, is Mashiach, and to prove it, I'm going to be blowing the chauffeur, and now you know who this guy is. All right, so, um, good. 
By the way, Mashiach is getting a ride and he has a chauffeur, but it's more of a chauffeur and not exactly the same thing. Just to clarify, just making sure we're all on the same page here. Now, let's try, I, I'm sorry that that, that that hurt me more than it hurt you, trust me. So let's do qual, qualifications. Oh, I like this one, Mashiach's profile. Who is Mashiach? Here we go, text number eight. Text number eight, let's go through this in rapid succession. Let's call on Susan. Susan, if you don't mind, unmute and jump in. Text eight from Rabbi Chaim Vital. King Mashiach will certainly be a righteous human, born of a man and a woman. Beautiful. So first thing we know is Mashiach is of flesh and blood. Mashiach is a human being, not an angel, not a disembodied soul, not a spiritual force or some sort of cosmic energy, ethereal energy. Nope, there's actually a person known as Mashiach, which I, I know I kind of leaked that information before in the beginning of the class, but that's really, um, this is well-sourced in Judaism. Mashiach is a person. It's not just a state of affairs. It's not just um, a realm or a, uh, not a realm, but a, um, a, a reality that the world you know, comes to. No, it, Mashiach is also an actual living, breathing human being. Okay, that's good information. So now we have some, some more information. Let's take a look at the Midrash. The Midrash, the Midrash gives us some more information. Adina Malka, if you don't mind to jump in. Did you already read tonight? Hold on. So did you read? No? Perfect. Take it away. Midrash, text 9. Behold, my servant will succeed. He will be exalted and elevated, and he will reach tremendous heights. Isaiah. This is a reference to the King Mashiach, who will be exalted over Abraham, elevated higher than Moses, and he will reach tremendous heights, greater than the angels. Okay, good. So what we have here is another um, criteria or qualification for Mashiach. Not only does, he, does the Mashiach have to be a person, but Mashiach is someone who is lofty and exalted, or exalted and elevated. Um, ex high, greater than Abraham, greater even than Moses. So we're looking for somebody. I hope you understand what we're doing here with this class, right? Now we understand that whoever is claiming at that press conference to be Mashiach, okay, one second, slow it down. Are you a lofty individual? Spiritually lofty? Are you, I mean, can we put you in the same sentence as an Abraham, as a Moses? I mean, if not, then it's a non-starter. Are you with me on this? Yes? So again, someone's holding a press conference, so it came fast, could be. Uh, no Elijah, still could be. Human being, okay, good, check. Lofty human being, I'm not going to give you an answer because this is a theoretical situation, depends who's up there. But this is a, a consideration, that's how we know, could it be or is it ruled out? Let's continue with some more criteria. I hope this is making sense. Let's continue with text number 10. Um, let's ask Donna. Uh, Donna, yes, Donna, please read text 10 from Rambam, Maimonides. The King Mashiach who will rise from David's descendants will be wiser than Solomon and a great prophet, close to the level of Moses. He will therefore teach the entire nation and instruct them in the path of God. And all the nations will come to hear his word. Oh, good. Now we have even more qualifications and criteria. Now we have that Mashiach, well, first of all, has to come from the Davidic dynasty. Okay, that's, that's good information. Has to be wiser than Solomon. Um, a, a prophet close to the level of, um, 
of Moses. I mean, this is, this is really solid information right here. And it says, he will teach the entire nation and instruct them in the path of God and all nations will come to hear his words. So this is somebody who is influential. At the very least, they are influential. So what we're seeing here is that just, you know, uh, some person holding a press conference saying that they're Mashiach, we got to look a little bit more closely. Are they from the Davidic dynasty, from the, from the, from the house of David? Are they, um, um, uh, are they um, lofty? Are they like Abraham, Moses? Are they influential in the world, spiritually influential, right? And there's also humility, text number 11. Let's jump in. Yeah, Fred, jump in. Or Donna. Circumcised. Circumcised? Right. Yeah, for sure. Born circumcised. Oh, born circumcised. That might be in a source. Yeah, that could be in a source. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know that at a press conference. I'm just saying. But some of the other, because like, cause I, hold on. Even if, without getting too... That would be a fantastic press conference, and that actually might dissuade some potentially false messiahs from holding said press conference if that was part of the press conference. It's like, all right, here's the protocol for the press conference. The Mashiach press conference includes... There you go. That's what it includes. But you wouldn't know if they were born that way or not born that way. That would be another question honor system perhaps but we would know what we're talking about here is you know are they exalted are they you know a powerful person i don't mean physically i mean you know spiritually are they righteous are they wise are they influential spiritually all right but you know what fred if you don't mind jump in and read hold on let me get this back for all of us read please text 11 from the previous rebbe take it away yeah. you can read this but she uniqueness will be his humility despite reaching the pinnacle of greatness due to which he will teach torah to the patriarchs and to moses he will nevertheless achieve the ultimate humility and self-nullification due to which he will also teach the simplest folk isn't that isn't that nice i mean mashiach is going to be not only the greatest scholar ever teaching moses himself torah but Mashiach will also teach everybody. Mashiach is the ultimate of democratizing wisdom, teaching everybody, all who want, let's come and, and learn together. Mashiach is fantastic. So Mashiach embodies also humility to boot, in addition to everything else that we said about the qualities of Mashiach. And finally, we do one more text on, in, this, in this little section, and that is um, speaking about the, um, the likeness to none other than Moses. Text. Oh, wait, hold on. Wait. Hold on. Let's. Oh, we're going to skip this. Let's do text 13. Sorry, I just. Uh, looking for my place. All right, let's do text 13. Let's ask. Um, let's see. Who are we going to ask? Let's ask Richard. Richard, are you up to it? Don't forget to unmute. Don't forget to unmute text number 13. You can hold down the space bar, whatever is easier for you. Do it. You got, yes, you got it. Oh, that Richard, wrong Richard. Okay, go ahead, you're, you're on. I'm on, okay. Moses, the first redeemer, reached the age of 80 years with no knowledge or intuition 
about his eventual role as the Redeemer of Israel. So will it be, God willing, with the future Redeemer. When the time comes, God will appear to him, and then the spirit of Mashiach, that until that moment was hidden on high, will descend upon him, similar to the experience of Moses at the burning bush. Thank you. So we have this similarity to Moses, where Moses is, you know, the shepherd, and he's doing his thing, and he's, you know, he's a good guy, he's pious, he's righteous, he stands up for, for those that would otherwise be victimized, as the Torah tells us, and then one day he's walking by the burning, this bush that's burning, and God appears to him and says, now, now it's on. Now you're about to become, now you're about to assume the role that you were, that you were born for. Mashiach is in a similar way also like Moses with those qualifications and will be kind of, you know, granted this, this incredible extra boost or oomph for spirit of Mashiach when the time comes. So now we have some more criteria or qualifications or qualities of Mashiach. We have five basic qualities, and I will state them very quickly. Number one, Mashiach needs to be a human being of flesh and blood who is lofty and exalted, a prophet and a teacher, humble, and someone upon whom God bestows a special gift. These qualities can help us when somebody decides to hold a press conference in my theoretical example, right? Somebody says, I'm Mashiach, or somebody says about someone else, you know, that person, they're Mashiach. Well, now we can actually measure them against some objective criteria. Are they a person? Okay. Are they exalted and lofty? Are they um, like Moses and Abraham? Are they a prophet and a teacher? Are they humble? Are they someone in whom upon whom God bestows a special gift? Okay. And if 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 it checks, if that person checks all the boxes, they're in the running, at least. At least they're not ruled out yet. At least it's a possibility. But let's keep on going. Because, like any good infomercial, but wait, there is more. You see, if we're trying to positively identify Mashiach, which is what we're trying to do here, then Maimonides is going to be very helpful because Maimonides has done some really heavy lifting for us all. Maimonides, in his work of halacha, of Jewish law, known as the Mishneh Torah, he codifies, he really organizes and structures and lays it out in halacha, lays out the protocol for ascertaining whether or not someone is or is not the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. So, TGFM. TGFM, which stands for, of course, thank God for Maimonides. Because now we have a really good framework to figure this out. I'm going to read this text. This is text 14. It's a little bit longer, so let's do it together. I'm going to read this. All right, it's not that long, actually, but okay. He ta- Maimonides talks about identifying someone who could be presumed to be Mashiach or confirmed to be Mashiach, two different levels. We're going to do this together. When a king from the house of David will arise... So we're talking about somebody who is like a king, not literally a king, but someone who is, you know, exalted, lofty, respected, etc. And he's coming from the house of David. Again, we said that before, the Davidic dynasty from that tribe. So when, when a king, a leader from that family will arise, who, like his ancestor David, diligently studies the Torah and observes its mitzvot as prescribed by the written law and the Torah law. Okay, that's already a lot of criteria. And this person influences all of Israel to walk in the way of Torah and 
rectifies the breaches in its observance and wages God's battles, then this person is presumed to, there should be a word there, there's a word missing, to be the Mashiach. So, again, if a person is a leader from the house of David who studies Torah and observes mitzvot based on the written and the oral law, influences fellow Jews to walk in the ways of Torah, rectifies the breaches and observance, and weighs, wages God's battles, which could be, by the way, spiritual battles, not physical fights, but like, you know, um, helping combat, let's say, uh, um, whether it's anti-Semitism or assimilation or whatever it is, like fighting God's battles, so this person can be presumed, that's a very important word, presumed to be Mashiach. That doesn't mean that they are Mashiach. It means that they are, it's looking very good. You could say, yeah, probably that person looks like they, 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 they are Mashiach. They're heading down that path. Now, listen to the next paragraph. This is from Rambam. This is straight up halacha. This is not philosophy, it's not Kabbalah, which I'm not, I'm not minimizing, by the way, but this is halacha, this is Jewish law. So this is not theory, this is, this is the legal specifications of Mashiach. Let's continue. If he succeeds in the above, this first paragraph, and on top of that, he builds the temple in its place in Jerusalem, in its place meaning in its proper place, and gathers the dispersed of Israel from, you know, the exiles, then he is certainly the Mashiach. Then you know, yep, that person is definitely Mashiach. So, to, show, to review this and to see it in a visual way, there are four criteria of the presumed Mashiach, the presumed Messiah, and there are two criteria for the confirmed Messiah. So to be presumed as the Messiah, where we could safely say, yep, that person seems to be the Messiah based on, right, again, the pre same example, press conference, they get up there, say, I'm the Messiah. So now you're like, oh, yes, no, maybe. Well, if they hit these four, then you can safely say, probably. I think so. You can safely say that. What are the four criteria? Number one, they have to be a descendant of King David. Number two, B, or A, B, right, I'm just going to go one, two, three, four. Number two, they have to be supremely pious and well-versed in Torah. They have to be a good person and knowledgeable of Torah. Number three, C, three, they have to influence the Jewish nation to follow the ways of Torah. So they have to not only be personally, you know, very righteous and pious, but they have to influence others in that same way. And finally, number four, they have to wage God's battles, which I know is vague and non-specific, there are commentaries that say, well, maybe some physical stuff, but probably some spiritual stuff. I, I don't know that I could tell you definitively since it's the subject of a lot of discussion in the commentaries, but on some level, some sort of waging God's battles, fighting God's battles, if a person fits these four criteria and they possess the other qualifications that we spoke about a few moments ago, then you can presume them to be the Messiah. And if not, then you just unplug the mic from the press conference and you go home. That's the way it is. Are you with me? Somebody's up there with the press conference. They're saying, I'm Mashiach. And you're like, okay. We had a bunch of qualifications before, but let's look at your resume right now. Are you hitting these four boxes? If yes, great. I'm on board. What do we do next? You tell, 
you're Mashiach, you t- I mean, we think you're Mashiach, you tell us what to do next. But if they fail to check any of these boxes, not Mashiach. You with me on this? This is very important to know the qualifications. By the way, it's very important to know this because throughout history, people have made press conferences and announced that they're Mashiach, or others have announced them to be Mashiach on their behalf. This has happened numerous times throughout history, which we'll talk about a few, a few examples tonight, right? And the question is, no, yes or no? Yay or nay? We have a framework now. We have a framework. They have to be a human being of flesh and blood from a father and a mother. They have to be from the Davidic dynasty. They have to be like Abraham and Moses, a prophet and a scholar and wise like David and Solomon and all that good stuff. They have to, um, what else did we say before? They have to um, be humble and etc. And now we have other sets of criteria. They have to uh, be knowledgeable in Torah, be observed on mitzvot, and they have to influence and inspire others in the ways of Torah and mitzvot, other Jews in the ways of Torah and mitzvot, and they have to be waging God's battles. And all of that are prerequisites without which it's a non-starter to be presumed, which is like an assumption that one is indeed the Mashiach. But how do you confirm it? How do you know with 100% certainty, yeah, this is, this is for sure Mashiach. Like until this point, after all of this, we're still like almost certain. Right, but not 100%. What puts us over the edge? Back to the chart. I mean, we read it inside already, but we're just reviewing it now with the chart. Confirm Mashiach has two criteria. Number one, gathers the Jewish people to the homeland, the Jewish homeland. And number two, builds the third holy temple. And if somebody can pull that off, oh yeah, they are definitely the Mashiach because that's, these, are, these are really tough uh, boxes to check. Right? And, and the truth is, I, I, um, I need to correct this chart a little bit with all respect to the, the editors of, of the textbook, but it's really the, the order is reversed. If you look back at the text of, of Maimonides, he says, if he succeeds in the above, to be presumed Mashiach, and then on top of that, he, number one, builds the temple, and two, gathers the dispersed, then he's certainly Mashiach. But again, the first one is building temple, and the second one is gathering the dispersed, and here the order is backwards. I just want to point it out that there's significance in the order, which we'll talk about next week. Um, confirm Mashiach must build a temple and gather the Jewish people back to the homeland, and then you know for sure that they are Mashiach. So that, this is what Jewish law says. This is not a prophecy. This is not a medrash. This is not a Talmudic statement, which I'm not minimizing. But what I'm saying is this has the most weight because it's literally canonized in Jewish law. No one disagrees with this. These are the criteria of Mashiach. So, yes. May I, may I ask a question? Yeah, for so, sure. I, I, I was under the assumption that when the Mashiach came, that Hashem was going to just drop basically the third temple down, yeah. and the Nicanor gates, I think, were going to be found. But that he wasn't building the temple, the, the Hashem was going to just... Drop it down. Good. So, excellent. So, your question is, hold on. Is Mashiach building the temple or is it God dropping it down, you know, airdropping it? Good question. Lesson six will address this seeming contradiction, right? 
You got to have something up the sleeve. You got to have something back, you know, got to hold something back for lesson six. Don't worry, we got plenty next week. We got plenty for next week's class. But that's one of the issues we're going to address. Excellent question. That's one of the issues we're going to address. I have two questions. Also. Yes, Sid. Um, the way it's written, it seems like you would know who the Mashiach is before he announced himself. Yeah, yeah, you would. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Most most likely, if there was somebody that pious and righteous and scholarly and influential and 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 a force in the Jewish world, you probably would have seen a YouTube video or two of them at some point, right? You pr yes, excellent observation. Correct. Okay. So second question is, he has to be a uh, descendant of of David. Don't we know who the descendants of David are? Yes. Today? Yes. Yes. We have family lines, family trees. And if you're not sure, there are classic families that are descendants. We know that the Maral of Prague, this is, this is an easy shortcut. The Maral of Prague, um, you know the guy, uh, the rabbi from a few hundred years ago made the golem, right? Prague? Okay, yeah. Maral. So, um, uh, he... We know he traced his lineage. There are books that trace his lineage back to the Davidic dynasty. So we know anyone that comes from him is a uh, is from that line of of King David. So families know it's kind of like a Kohen or a Levi. You know, a Kohen usually knows. I mean, no guarantees, but a lot of the times, if you're a Kohen, you know it because it's in the family tradition. So maybe a little bit less aware uh, awareness about this, but. Most of the time, there's a way to check. There's a way to um, um, trace it. Even if the individual doesn't know or the family doesn't know, there are people that know families. It's called. It's a. It's a. It's an art of Jewish um, scholarship known as yuchsin, which is lineage. There are there are experts on Jewish lineage, and they 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 know how to find out these things. So we can find it out. One last question. Sure. After the Rebbe passed away, there were a lot of statements claiming or believing that he he was the messiah and would be coming back is there still people who believe that he will return and is that follow the rules that somebody returns excellent question so to answer so let me explain just because maybe not everybody is aware of um of what you're talking about so and, and really i was i was i was building up to this idea to address it head on. Um, so it's a, it's a drop early. I was gonna do one more section and maybe one or two more texts and then jump into this topic. So I'll, I'll treat it a little bit now, but, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll give the full explanation soon. The short answer is, for many people, the Lubavitcher Rebbe in his lifetime checked a lot of these boxes, right? An influential person who's dedicated to Torah mitzvot and the Jewish people, someone who has a global platform, seems to check the boxes. Again, Mashiach is not here yet because there's no temple and there's no gathering of the exiles, but somebody who definitely is a candidate, right? Okay. Um, the question, though, you're asking is what about if a person passes away? That is a really good question, and that we're going to wait for a few more sources on. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that shakes down. Is that a non-starter? Is that a possibility? Where does that work? Good. So excellent questions and observations. Hold on. We still have a little bit more to uh, to, to cover. Adina Malka, jump in. You know, if the, if the 
Mashiach has to be a descendant of David. I mean, are we saying that the Mashiach is going to be a man, not a woman? So that uh, traditionally we understand uh, tradition. Traditionally, we the what's out there is that Mashiach will be a man. That's what's out there. Um, but I think the important thing is that Mashiach is a human being of flesh and blood who is a descendant of the Davidic dynasty, which could also apply, again, that, that criteria in and of itself could apply to a woman also from that lineage. But traditionally, my understanding is that traditionally we say that Mashiach will be a man, a king from the house of David and not a queen. Why? I don't know. I don't listen. I didn't write any of these rules. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying my best to present them for all of our awareness here tonight, just to be more knowledgeable about uh, who and what Mashiach is. All right, we still have more text to get to, so I want to just quickly cover some more ground now. So what we have here is a very healthy framework for dealing with our. Um, press conference dilemma, right? Press conference or someone else's press conference, this person's Mashiach, and you're like, I don't know. We have a lot of different criteria now to run through. Like, are they this, that, this, that, this, that, this, that? If they check all the boxes, right? They could be. You can't rule them out. They don't have to build a temple yet and gather the exile. Even up until that point, things are looking good. Possible. Can't rule you out. Seems like a decent candidate. But there's another twist to this. You see, it's a fundamental Jewish belief, and we know this because this has been a consistent theme throughout this course. It's a fundamental Jewish belief um, that Mashiach will come. And in fact, it's one of the 13 principles of faith, articulated again by Maimonides, where he, it's phrased like, I believe with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah, and even though he may tarry, and delay, I still await his coming every single day. Which means that every single day, Judaism encourages us to believe that yes, Mashiach can come today. And it will come today. To be positive and optimistic that the world will flip for good today. Which means, listen to this, every generation needs to have somebody who is a potential Mashiach. Because if Mashiach were to come today, so no, who do we got? So there has to be someone who is qualified in every generation. Now it's possible that Mashiach might, God forbid, not come in that generation. In which case, the potential Mashiach, the one that could have been, doesn't get actualized, doesn't get put in the game, so to speak. But if everything aligns... And the world is ready, the generation is ready for Mashiach, then you need someone ready to go to make happen to, to make that happen. I want to share with you the following text, which expresses, hopefully, expresses this very clearly. Okay, text number 16 from the Bartanura. Take a look what he says. In every generation, you see that every generation, a descendant of Judah. King David comes from the tribe of Judah. That's another way of saying it. A descendant of Judah is born who is a befitting candidate to be the Jewish Mashiach. So here it's clear from the Bartanura. Mashiach is not something, you know, 
that there's somebody waiting in the wings, so to speak, that is potentially a candidate to be Mashiach if, if, if today is the day, if now is the time. And thus, it became a thing throughout Jewish history, even till modern times, for people to speculate, you know, out of speculation, if Mashiach were to come today, who do you think would it be? Who do you think it would be? And let me share with you this Talmud, this section from Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin 98b, where the Talmudic sages do exactly this. They ask the question, what is Mashiach's name? Now, you might be wondering, Mashiach, right? No, but who, the question is, who today, back in their times, who today would be Mashiach? So listen to this. Every student said that their teacher would be the one. So the scholars of Rabbi Shiloh's academy would say, you know what his name is? Shiloh. As it is stated, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes and all the nations will rally to him. I know it could be pronounced Shiloh, but I'm doing the Hebrew pronunciation. Um, next, the scholars of Rabbi Yanai's academy would say, you know what Mashiach's name is? Yinon, like Yanai. As it is stated, may his name endure forever for as long as the sun, may his name continue Yinon. So again, the students of Rabbi Yanai said, you know who's Mashiach? Yino, Nyanai, our teacher. This was, this was, these were Jews who were just fiercely respectful. And, and in, in not only respect, but they loved and revered their teacher that they said, you know what, if, the, if, if, if there's a candidate for Mashiach, you know where it's coming from? Our teacher. The scholars of Rabbi Hanina's academy would say, his name is Hanina. How convenient, as it is stated, for during your exile, we'll show you no favor, Hanina. They even brought verses. Some scholars insist that his name is Menachem, the son of Cheskiah. As it says, because at the time of the destruction, the comfort of Menachem that should relieve my soul is far from me. Rabbi Nachman stated, if the Messiah is among... Oh, listen to this. This answers um, um, Sid. Was this your question? Did you? Yes. Rabbi Nachman stated, if the Messiah is among the living, he is a person who already occupies a government position such as me. With not just government, but like a leadership position. As it is stated, their prince shall be of themselves and their governor shall proceed from their midst. Rav said, if the Messiah is among those currently alive, he is the holy Rabbi Yehuda, the prince. If the Messiah is among the dead, he is Daniel, the beloved. And here we have a source in Talmud. Again, it's not, not a secret source. It's straight up Talmud, tractate. I'm going back to the, to, the, to the reference here, to the citation. Talmud, Sanhedrin 98b black and white, where there is a discussion about Mashiach coming from those that are no longer alive. And he says, if it's among the dead, then it's uh, probably Daniel the Beloved. I guess he was a Daniel fan, so to speak, or someone who respected and, and was, you know, Team Daniel. Here's the point. The point is that we believe Mashiach, hopefully, ideally, we, it's Jewish belief that Mashiach can come or will come every single day. I wait, I wait for him every, we, we pronounce this, I wait for his arrival, Mashiach's arrival, every single day. So Mashiach arrives today, there's got to be someone. So typically it's understood that you need someone alive to be Mashiach. But there is a source, you just saw it, and many, many other sources, which we don't have time to cite, and it's not in the book, many other sources that also reference that it could be someone who's not alive. Here's the point. The point is, life, alive or not alive is not what makes it or breaks it as far as criteria for Mashiach. What makes or breaks it is the other stuff that we had. Are they from, from the house of David, from that lineage? 
Are they someone who's a scholar, someone who's influential scholar, someone who fought on behalf, in a good way, on behalf of Torah, Mitzvot, and the Jewish people? Someone who has the piety and the righteousness and the commitment and the authenticity and all of the other stuff, which I can't read, you know, all the other criteria that we cited before. And if a person has those criteria, yeah, they could be Mashiach. Now, if they get the ball rolling and start doing some things like fighting the war, fighting the battles, whatever exactly that was, and, um, and influencing the Jewish people, then you can even say, you know what? I think they are presumed to be Mashiach. If they build a temple and then gather the exiles, then you can confirm it. What I'm trying to say is we really have three categories. There are three, ca- three stages of IDing Mashiach, of identifying Mashiach. Not two. We just added a third. Stage number one is potential Mashiach. Who could be Mashiach? Who's like really good and righteous and etc.? Who could be Mashiach? And historically, people said about their teachers, their rabbis, yeah, that person could be Mashiach. That's step one. That's just, you know, Whatever, maybe, potential. Step two is, stage two is deeper. It's not potential Mashiach, it's presumed Mashiach. And this is where Maimonides, that we said it before, comes in. Maimonides says that this is not potential Mashiach. This is presumed Mashiach. It's not confirmed, but we are pretty sure. And what makes, it, what makes us pretty sure? Well, we had four criteria before. Specifically, descendant of the Davidic dynasty, pious and well-versed in Torah, influences the Jewish people to follow the ways of Torah and wages God's battles. That moves someone from potential to presumption of being Mashiach. And the third stage is moving from the presumption to the confirmation, to confirm Mashiach. And that happens with two criteria, two additional criteria, which is building the temple and gathering in the Jews to the Holy Land from around the world. So, this is, the, and these three categories are clearly defined in Jewish scholarship and law and the Talmud and Halacha, wherever you look, these are the three categories, which makes it easier to figure out if someone in question is indeed Mashiach, or at the very least, if they can be Mashiach. So again, getting back to our consistent, you know, theoretical scenario, someone calls a press conference, says, I'm Mashiach, or somebody announced about someone else, hey, they're Mashiach. The question is, is there potential? If there is, can we presume that they are? And if so, can we get confirmation? Those are the three steps. Each one has their own set, set of criteria and qualifications. But what it comes down to really is that Mashiach is confirmed only when there's a third temple. So unless there's a temple, right, unless there's a new Beit HaMikdash, a new holy temple, we're not going to have that confirmation. So the best we can have is potential or even presumed, but Mashiach confirmed means that there's actual legitimate on-the-ground changes that are undeniable, that are pretty obvious for all to see. So a press conference is not going to build a temple. Press conference maybe is going to get us to say, yeah, maybe, but it's not going to convince us, oh, definitely the guy, because that's uh, that requires a lot more heavy lifting. One other point about that, about the actual change in the ground that happens when Mashiach comes, that is really the focus of 
next week's class. As I mentioned before to Jay about the, about, about the temple, does it come down from above? Are we building it? Or a combination of the two? Um, that is going to be the focus of next week's class, which is really important um, as we talk about the transformation of the ground that actually occurs. So now I want to spend just a few minutes. We have about five minutes left to talk about how this played out historically in the Jewish communities. And I want to focus on two episodes of individuals that many believed were Mashiach and didn't end up being Mashiach. Okay? Two individuals. Famous, famous examples. Maybe not everyone is aware of them, but famous big stories in Jewish history of people who there was a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of chatter about them being Mashiach, but we know never happened. Case study number one is the story of Bar Kokhba. Bar Kokhba. Raise your hand if you're familiar with Bar Kokhba. Bar Koziba, sometimes known as. Okay. Bar Kokhba was a great scholar and leader who lived about 1900 years ago in the second century of the Common Era. He lived in the times of the Mishnah, the times immediately following the destruction of the Second Temple. And he was righteous, he was scholarly, and he was a mighty warrior to boot. He had a good trifecta of qualities. And for a period of time, he was fighting, he was battling and repelling the Roman army. Again, this was after the Second Temple's destruction. This is the story of Betar, if you're familiar with the story. So he led kind of a revolt against the Romans who had destroyed the temple and taken over Judea. They were pushing them back. And in many ways, he fit the criteria of Mashiach. He was exalted and he was respected and he was influential and he fought God's battles quite literally. And so many thought he was, he was, or at least could be, or presumed that he was, Mashiach. He didn't build a temple, he didn't gather, right? So, but many thought he was at that level of presumption to be Mashiach. But it wasn't meant to be. And he was killed. I mean, there's, there's a question as to how he died, but some say one of the traditions is that he died in one of his battles against the Romans. And that meant that he, if he dies in battle, that's a sign that he wasn't the guy. So Bar Kokhba might have been presumed to be Mashiach, but he was never confirmed. Let me share with you a text that attests to this story. Take a look at text number... No. Take a look at text number 19. Oh, Ramba, Maimonides, once again. Ra Listen to this. Rabbi Akiva. One of the most, the greatest, one of the greatest scholars of all time. Rabbi Akiva was a phenomenal sage among the great sages of the Mishnaic area, the times of the Mishnah. He personally served as King Bar Koziba, Bar Kokhba, same, same guy, his arms bearer, and would proclaim that Bar Koziba, Bar Kokhba, was the King Messiah. Along with all the sages of his generation, he considered Bar Koziba to be the King Messiah until Bar Koziba was killed because of his sins. And Maimonides is, is saying this to prove that you can be presumed to be Mashiach even without building a temple and gathering in the exiles. Right? 
Stage two, he said stage one is potential. Well, potential is, you know, really a broad range. But then presume Mashiach is someone who's already moving down that path, but not confirmed yet. And Maimonides is saying there was a guy, Bar Kochba, Bar Koziba, same guy, who was so that far down that path that even Rabbi Akiva and the other sages believed that he was Mashiach. Not confirmed, but that he was presumably Mashiach until he died in his battles and he was not Mashiach. But the point is that this was a hope and, and a thought that ultimately pan, didn't pan out that way. He wasn't a false Messiah. He just didn't end up becoming the Messiah, right? There's, there's a difference between a fraudulent Messiah or someone who could have been, but it didn't pan out. That's a case of could have been, but didn't pan out because of whatever he did wrong. Yes, Susan. What were his sins? It's a, it's a very complicated story. It's a very complicated story. It's a long story. He, um, there was a sage that he suspected of something, and it's just a very long story, but it, he, didn't, he didn't act, he didn't behave in a proper way. He did something wrong, and essentially that was it, and he was done. So it's not that he was a false messiah pretending to be, the, he was actually down that path, but it didn't pan out. There's another story that happened more recently, um, a little less than 400 years ago, and of another potential Mashiach, potential Messiah, that illustrates the other example of a false Messiah. And I'm referring to Shabtai Tzvi. Anybody familiar with Shabtai Tzvi? Shabtai Tzvi? Okay. He devastated the Jewish community in the 1600s. Absolutely ripped the hearts out of so many people. Because it was a time of fierce Jewish depression. There were pogroms and massacres and, and everyone just wanted hope. And here was a charismatic young man who was a scholar. He was a scholar. Very charismatic. And he said, I'm Mashiach. And he had people proclaiming him to be Mashiach. He had like a spokesperson, a PR guy who was like his you know, campaign manager for this. And he went around, he traveled to communities he burnt a ton of bridges. Like when people got to know him, they realized like this dude is just a charlatan. He's a, he's a, he's a fraud. But a lot of people got whipped up in it. And do you know what happened at the end? He converted to Islam. You know this? At the age of 40, while still asserting himself as Mashiach, the Jewish Messiah, he converted to Islam. And you know what? The people that drank the Kool-Aid said, Oh, he's for sure Mashiach. Why? Because now he can even gather the sparks of Islam, right? And lift up the Islamic, uh, you know, potential to be part of this Messianic movement. And he died at the age of 50, and obviously he wasn't Mashiach. It's a cautionary tale. You know, when you want something really badly, sometimes you can be misled or project something on someone that doesn't deserve that projection. So here we have two examples, and I, I really, I, to be honest, I have videos that I could show you, like historical, biographical, like very informative videos, but we're at the time now, and I don't want to take more time. You know what I'll do? I'll include it in my lesson recap and summary that I send out. I'll include links to two videos that you can watch, one on the story, the biography of Bar Kokhba, who could have been Mashiach, legitimately, but wasn't. And 
And um, Shabtai Tzvi, who just wasn't Mashiach, just, just frauded people. Hold on, Richard, hold on to the end of the class. Let me close it out, and then we're going to jump to some Q&A. So, my friends, I started this class with a practical scenario. What if somebody comes along today and says, I'm Mashiach. How do we know? Hopefully, based on today's class and today's discussion, hopefully, you know. <laughs> you know that Mashiach needs to come from a certain family line. You know that Mashiach needs to possess certain inner qualities. You know that Mashiach has to accomplish some very specific goals. And you also know that as much as we anticipate Mashiach and even look for possible candidates, potential candidates, we don't confirm Mashiach, confirm until very specific messianic things actually happen. So when a Shabtai Tzvi comes around, I hope that you will maintain a healthy skepticism. And when a Bar Kokhba comes around, I hope that you will share a healthy optimism and hope that maybe, just maybe, this is the time. Today we learned who and what Mashiach is. Mashiach plays a crucial role in the fulfillment of the process of a better world. So join me in the wish that we merit the coming of Mashiach now. And let us say, Amen. Thank you for joining me today for lesson number five of This Can Happen. I hope it's been informative. I hope you, you've enjoyed it. Next week, same bad time, same bad channel. I can say that on Zoom. It makes sense even. Next week, we are going to have our final session. And in our final session, we are going to cover the last piece of the puzzle. See, we've seen up until now, we've learned why redemption needs to happen. We've even explored the human role in making that happen. But next week, we're going to take a peek into that perfect and perfectly possible world as the prophets and the sages vividly describe it. Join me next week for our sixth and final lesson of This Can Happen as we take a closer look, closer look at what the world of Mashiach actually looks like. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you will be there with me. Thank you for joining me tonight, and uh, I'll take some questions. To, if you could stay, stay on and ask some questions, I'll answer to the best of my ability. A few points, of, a few quick announcements. So number one, I just sent out an email, I think it was yesterday, about a very special event you know, tonight we spoke a little bit, of, a little bit about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and I hope what came from the discussion is kind of seeing why a Chabadnik might say, if we're looking for candidates, I know someone. I, I got a guy. I, I know someone who's a tremendous candidate. Again, Mashiach is not here yet. You'll know when it happens. But candidates? What a candidate. We're going to speak about the Rebbe's incredible life and legacy in a special event. We're calling this the Rebbe, an evening of inspiration. It's taking place Sunday, June 13th, starting at 6.30 p.m. Sunday, June 13th, also is the third day of Tammuz, which is the Rebbe's yard site. Th um, 27 years since the passing of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, to honor the Rebbe's legacy, we're going to have a beautiful evening of inspiration with positive messages that the Rebbe would share about loving each other and making the world a better place, all positive um, messages that we can all relate to. A very personal element to this is that the featured speaker, our keynote address, 
is going to be delivered by a very prominent rabbi from Los Angeles who also happens to be my wife's brother, Leah's brother, Rabbi Moshe Kesselman from Los Angeles, rabbi in one of the big synagogues in LA, and a tremendous speaker. He will be flying out to Atlanta on that Sunday to speak for us. 6.30 p.m. It's an in-person event. 6.30 p.m. And if you want to, we may make it available for those that need to join remotely. Stay tuned if we can figure out uh, the logistics. 6.30 will be the reception, wine and dessert reception. 7 o'clock, the program uh, um, featuring in words of inspiration, a beautiful video, as well as the keynote address called Stories to Stir the Soul. That's all happening June 13th. The program is completely free and open to all. There is limited seating. We're still maintaining some limited seating inside the synagogue for, for just to maintain everyone's safety and security. Um, so please RSVP, get in while the getting in is good. good. There are sponsorship opportunities available, but it is being opened up to everyone free of charge. That's announcement number one. This Sunday we have, this Sunday, so that's, the, that's a week from Sunday, the 13th. This Sunday, which is the 6th, we have our third and final for now. I think we're going to do more of these. Jewish Summer Cinema. We're going to be watching the, the amazing documentary Fiddler, A miracle, miracle of Miracles, which is all about the musical Fiddler on the Roof, behind the scenes, action and conversation. A lot of fun. So join me Sunday at 8 p.m. Oh, and the food. Are you kidding me? We have shtetl-themed food. Think knishes. And oh, I'm telling you, my mouth is watering just thinking about this. Think knishes and uh, sour pickles, half sour pickles and chopped liver and pastrami sandwiches. Oh my gosh, it's, this is straight out of old school Jewish cuisine and a film, Gewaldic. Um, we also have upcoming a, 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 um, our course, Curious Tales of the Talmud. It's starting in two weeks from tonight. So June 15th, yeah, next week is our final lesson. And the week right after that, we're starting a new course called Curious Tales of the Talmud, exploring the wildest and most enigmatic stories of the Talmud and revealing their deeper meaning. This is going to be an amazing course, so join me for that. And there's more stuff. Escape from Cairo, a young man who grew up um, taught to hate Jews, a Muslim fellow from Cairo, who eventually learns Hebrew and discovers a whole new reality, and he now advocates on behalf of human rights and the Jewish people in Israel. So that's Escape from Cairo coming up in a few weeks, Sunday, June, June 20th. There's a lot of stuff coming up. Everything that is has been released is on the website, intownjewishacademy.org. Check it out, and please sign up and join us because it's good to learn and it's good to experience and grow together. All right, questions, I'm here for the next little bit. Jump in. Richard, I think Richard had a question. Um, I do. I, yes. I, it's really a, more of a comment. I understand that people still do believe Shabbat is Messiah in Turkey. They go to the really? ocean and wash their face. And very small number of people. I've heard wow. this years ago. Interesting. I've heard this. You still believe them in the Wow. That's really holding on to, yeah, interesting. Yeah, don't quote me, but I've, I've heard that. You, you, it, it, it's, it's, I don't find it to be impossible. It, yeah. In other words, it sounds plausible. It sounds... Yeah. I could see that. I mean, he he he, he was big. Yeah. It, it was a few years. It wasn't that long. It was a few years, but it got... It was 
a fervor, a messianic fervor. It was a perfect storm of, 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 of horrific uh, um, um, hardship coupled with a hope, coupled with, you know, Kabbalah sprinkled in with the messi- a general messianic, you know, element to societies in general. And it was a perfect storm to I believe in somebody. left their homes and, and went to Jerusalem. I think people yeah. directed to, uh, to Jerusalem. They were ready to go. And, and some of them went. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Yeah. Do, do I understand right that if, uh, if, if the uh, potential teacher in that generation, if he dies, then he can't be the one. He's dead, then we're looking to the next one. So, so just to clarify, because the Talmud did say if he's from the dead, it could be... So it's if he's killed, if he's killed, it seems like. It seems the distinction is killed or died. So if he's killed like Bar Kokhba was killed in battle, then he's out. But it seems from the Talmud, where the Talmud said, if he's coming from the dead, it could be Daniel, the prophet Daniel. So then it seems like dying in and of itself is not a, a disqualifier, but there's... You're asking a good question. It relates to the question Sid asked before. It's not an easy answer because there are sources really on, 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 in different areas on that question. You know, is, is death definitely not? Or is it only if you're killed by an enemy, so to speak, right? Then that's a disqualifier because that means that you were... The difference between death and killing, it's not semantics. It's um, one is in the process of achieving your goals. Like you were fighting for something and then you were... And that means that it's... This person is not continuing in that capacity. The other is a person, you know, dies maybe naturally, and that doesn't necessarily necessarily indicate that that is no longer a possibility. Again, no one knows definitively who it is, but does it rule it out? That's the question. It might not rule it out if there's natural cause death. It might not rule it out. But if the um, if the Messiah is supposed to be fighting. God's battle. Right. Yes. I agree. I I would agree with you. Yes. It would. All of the other criteria, good point, would lend itself to someone who is actively working in that space. A hundred percent. Correct. Yes. Yes. Jay. Was there an idea at one point that King Hezekiah was in the running and then he was very arrogant? Yes. Yes. The Talmud says that he was supposed to be Mashiach. And he dropped the ball. It didn't work out. Look, free choice is not taken away from human beings, even someone who could be the Mashiach. It's not like they cease to be human. It's choice. Everyone has free choice. Yeah, King Hezekiah, King Chizkiyo, Chizkiyo HaMelech, it says was supposed to be Mashiach. Like that was, it was supposed to happen and didn't happen. Didn't happen, unfortunately. Do you know anything about this group in uh, Israel that is, trying to rebuild the temple and they study you know, yeah. the squares and the slaughter. Yeah. What about them? I don't know. I mean, we're going to speak about this next week a little bit. You have to also understand that, you know, it. it we'll, we'll, we'll explore this more next week, but I'll just drop this one line. We have to be careful not to be putting the cart before the horse, so to speak, right? If there's an order in which it has to go, you can't, it's like, I'll tell you a story to illustrate this. There was once a drought in one of the Jewish communities in Northern Africa, or I guess in one of the communities, and it affected the Jewish community as well. And so they, the rabbi, the chacham, the wise rabbi, called a, a prayer meeting 
Everyone is obligated, men, women, children, everyone's obligated to show up in synagogue on the appointed day to pray for rain. They show up, they're about to start, the rabbi's looking around, not starting yet. One guy is missing. Moshe is missing, we got to go to him. He sends his two gabayim, his two assistants, to go to the house and bring him to the, to the shul, to the synagogue, so they could start. They show up, knock on the door, he answers the door, we're having a day of prayer, please come, the rabbi's asking for you. He says, day of prayer for rain. You guys are so primitive. You guys are so archaic. What, you think your prayers are going to make it rain? You're kidding me. They say, what are you talking about? That's what we do. He's like, I'm a man of science. I know how rain happens, and I know that rain doesn't come from prayer. Right? So uh, that's what he says. Um, okay. So, and, and he says further, and you, and you know what? I can make it rain. Because I know science, so well, I can make it rain. Interesting. He says, watch this. He says, wait outside, I'm going to take care of it, everything's going to be fine. Closes the door. Locks it. Not, not doesn't lock, sorry, doesn't lock it, closes the door. Um, they're standing outside, these two people, and they hear scuffling, a scuffle. They hear shouting, screaming, shrieking, shrill, like, sounds almost like a demon, like, like crazy sounds. And they're so afraid, what's going on? They throw open the door, and right when they throw open the door, they see a flash of light quickly move out of the house. They're like, whoa, what was that? And the man is so angry. He says, you fools, you messed it up. I almost was able to, I was almost making it rain, and you ruined it. They said, what are you talking about? What, what was going on? He's like, you let the cat escape. Let the cat escape. It was a cat. What's, and he's all, he's all cut. He's all scratched up. He's bleeding. So what do you mean you let the cat? What, what do you say? He says, look, every time it rains, the cat hides behind the oven. And I was just stuffing the cat behind the oven to make it rain. And you ruined everything by opening up the door. You with me about horses and carts? Right? Correlation and causation. Yeah. So yes, a temple needs to be built and exiles need to be ingathered, but sometimes the process, the order in which things happen is significant. So I don't know if you can stuff the cat behind the oven and make it rain, or if when it rains and it's cold, the cat is seeking warmth and goes behind the oven. You with me? So when things are in a certain place, then the temple is rebuilt. The question is if you can kickstart it by building the temple. And I'm not going to weigh in right now, say yay or nay. I'm just dropping something to think about because you did ask a good question and it is a full week until we address it. So something to think about in the, in the next seven days. All right, let's do one more question and then I'm going to close it out because it is getting a drop late. I want to make sure everyone is able to have a nice evening as well um, after the class. Yes? Good. Any other questions, comments? Ray, go ahead. Uh, it's, it's not a question, but, you know, they do say sometimes it's raining cats and dogs. Yes. <laughs> in this case, good. Good point. And in this case, yeah, it was almost like that. All right, friends, thank you for joining. It's good to see you all. Stay healthy and stay positive. And remember, we believe and we trust and we hope the Mashiach will come today. And let us say once again, Amen. Thank you for joining. Amen. See you all. You. See you all soon. Take care. Lila Tov, take care. Pleasure, pleasure. Good night.